from our virtual studios in the Netherlands and Camarillo, California. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for the Marketing Geeks Radio Internet Program. We are back. We are here with an amazing, incredible, stupendous episode where we are going to analyze the shocking truth behind the Fire Festival. That's right. And how that dovetails into viral marketing, influencer marketing, how it could go right, how it could go wrong, how to avoid those mistakes for yourself. Plus, we have geek news, we have marketing news, and of course, the world-famous sex robot report. The number one in the world on podcasting. Thank you for joining us, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Are you ready to up your marketing game? Then join us now for another fantastic episode of The Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. Welcome to the show. How was your weekend, man? What'd you do? Uh, it's still it's still happening right now. It's Sunday, oh, so uh, yeah. yeah, you know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I didn't do I didn't do much. Um, I kind of hung out around the house, had a lazy weekend, but I've been I've been traveling the last couple, so it was nice to just be free to do what I wanted. Uh, I did watch, and we're going to talk about it. I watched the uh, Fire Festival Festival documentary on Netflix, and I watched uh, three out of four of the Ted Bundy miniseries. So we're going to talk a little bit about both of those, but. I want to tie that into how um, how specifically the fire festival became like this giant viral thing, and how influencer marketing, how creative outside the box social media marketing, how all of that played into this hype machine that ultimately was a house of cards or a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't know what's the what's the right metaphor here, Andres. It's a wolf in cards clothing, actually. I think is there we go. I like that. Yeah, looking for. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting story because uh, for a number of reasons, but primarily, you know, for those of you who don't know, the Fire Festival. Uh, I'm a festival geek, just so you know. Aside from being a marketing geek, gone to uh, Burning Man for two decades and uh, numerous other festivals, and you know, getting a festival off the ground can be an expensive endeavor uh, because there's a lot of money to be put out. Uh, you've got to price the tickets right. you got to get the, uh, you know, the social media going in the right way. you got to get the awareness up. Uh, you got to, like, tap into, uh, you know, build a list. Uh, you got to develop brand ambassadors. It's hard if you don't have any uh, anybody doing it uh, yet, and it's a brand-new festival. And the Fire Festival was a festival that was uh, uh, going to be like this luxury festival on Pablo Picasso's island that was going to be... Pablo, Pablo Escobar. Pablo, yeah, Escobar. Pablo Escobar, that's right. <laughs> Not Picasso. <laughs> uh, same thing. All right. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. They're like the same guy. They're basically the same. Basically the same uh, guy. One of, the, one of the Pablos. One, yeah. one of get... them paints pictures. One of them's a drug czar. You know, whatever. Put them in a room together, and you can't tell the difference. Um, but <laughs> take your pick to tuition. As a side note, this is a true fact. Uh, Pablo Picasso would uh, go to dinner for free uh, most nights because what he would do is he'd go to a restaurant 
and he'd pay by check. And they would take the check because he's Pablo Picasso, so they knew it would be good. But on the, on the back of the check, he would draw a little doodle. So all of a sudden, that check was worth more than the dinner itself, and they would never cash it. So he, uh, he, would, never, he would never have to pay for dinner. He'd go to expensive restaurants. So there you go. I tried really that funny, once. Andros. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, go finish your statement. <laughs> well, that's it. I, I tried that, and it just, you know, you know that wouldn't take It didn't work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just reading a book. Uh, there's a book out there called Split Second Persuasion, and there's an anecdote in the book. Um, and I, I think I'm blanking on which which uh, band it was, but there was a, there was a, a famous band that pretty much did the exact same thing. Uh, they were doing a concert, and the uh, the sound equipment failed, and so they promised everyone in the arena a refund. Uh, but what they did was when they did the refund, they uh, the band autographed every member of the band autographed the check. And then they also put a, like a limited edition band insignia on the check, so so basically nobody cashed it because it ended up like the check was ending up worth more than the actual value of the check. Uh, so it's funny because that book even talked about how they employed the principle of scarcity to uh, increase the value, but it, it's pretty much the same kind of story. That's funny. I just read that yesterday. That's pretty random. So so, so going you know and, and how that that ties into the uh, fire festival is they uh, they connected to a lot of uh, famous influencers and I think Kylie Jenner and uh, a bunch of other like well known influencers and they told the influencers I don't think they even paid them they just said hey if you come we'll give you like the best of the best. Uh, lodgings yeah. and you know it'll be free and it'll be the time of your life we'll fly you out there and this it, it was like a $5,000 ticket and it included like a, a flight and uh, top of the line camping and the whole bit and basically when people got out there there were FEMA tents and nothing else uh, the food that they gave was just like like a little tiny handful of salad and, and <laughs> pasta instead of like the, the top notch chef that they were promised uh, and so people just got swindled out of out of money, uh, but it just it just goes to show you how influencer marketing uh, and knowing how to to position yourself because they even had like a, a, a video that showed what the festival was going to be like, uh, which you, you can see on, on YouTube actually. And it because uh, uh, this was going to be the first festival, they had no other. They, they they basically built it out of nothing, and they got enough banana heads to. To, to plunk down the five thousand dollars, so uh, but of course now people are in jail and Ja Rule, who was uh, one of the co-sponsors, is uh, his reputation is shot. So uh, you know one of the forty-eight laws of power, uh, great book by Robert Greene, is your reputation is everything. Guard it with your life. And uh, I think uh, the guy who built up the festival uh, had another uh, another business that was kind of shady as well and uh you know he he ran his businesses uh and just ran them into the ground and and picked up the money um as things were collapsing so uh, yeah i mean so the guy that the guy that did this his name is billy mcfarland and he received a prison sentence of five years which is he's probably a, a year or so into it already he'll probably get out in three uh, and he'll probably be a millionaire soon again because that's what happens to these people. Because uh, this—he's a true. I would, I would, I would assume he's—he's got—he's on the spectrum of psych, uh, psych, psych, psychopathy. <laughs> he's a bit of a psychopath. Yeah. Um, or sociopaths. Psychopaths yeah. kill people. Sociopaths well, just don't care, right? Well, I mean, technically the same yeah, thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's a marked by a lack of empathy. And, and what's funny is there's a book out there called The, uh, the Psychopath um, Test. It's called The Psychopath Test by John mm-hmm. Ronson. And it talks about how psychopaths either end up in prison or they end up as CEOs. So there's not much, uh, there's not much else room for them in the world. So they're like either going to be in prison because they killed someone or they become CEOs because they learn how to mask their problems and they have no empathy and people without empathy tend to get ahead in business, which makes, which makes a lot of sense. But um, going back to the fire festival, I just wanted to share the marketing behind this thing was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, so what they did, like you, you said, they, they found the top influencers on Instagram, the top influencers on Facebook. And they, what they did was they promised them big things in return for sharing a single post. So basically if they were to share one post, they're going to get these incredible things. Kylie or Kendall Jenner, whichever one it was, I forget which one got paid $250,000 for doing one post. So a single post. Now, I, I don't know that she ever received the money, but I know that that was what she was promised. What they did was they created a campaign where simultaneously around the world, wherever these influencers are located, they all posted this ambiguous orange tile at the exact same time with the hashtag Fry Festival. So it created this, uh, this amount of buzz and eventually it drove people to the website where they showed the video and the video is the video cost them a ton of money. They probably spent most of their budget on that video because they brought in the top supermodels of the world to be on Pablo Escobar's island, which he said he owned, but he didn't actually own. Uh, and he ended up getting kicked off of that island. They had to move the festival to a different island, which was also a huge problem uh, because it didn't, even, it didn't even have the capacity to hold the amount of people that they had sold tickets to. And it, it's, uh, it's an incredible story. And I mean, essentially what the, what the people that were involved in it said was the real Fry Festival took place while they were filming that video. That was everything, or Fire Festival, that was everything that was promised. <laughs> they were partying, they had the supermodels, they had all that. So that was like really what the festival was. And then when, they, when people actually flew out there, they were promised a private jet. They got onto a traditional airplane. They fly out there. They get put onto a, a bus, a regular bus. They're taken, and it is, it's FEMA tents from leftover from a hurricane that was out there. And the tents were soaked because it had rained the night before. So it was it was just a nightmare um, in so many ways. Now, one other thing, Andres, to just show you what level of uh, desperation this thing reached. They had run out of money, basically, to fund like even the smallest elements of this thing. So they um, right before the festival, they started emailing all the people, and they're like, well, we don't want you to bring cash to the festival, so we've created this. Uh, we've created our own commerce system. It's called Fire Cash or something. So, like, go ahead and load up your Fire Cash with, uh, you know, you, you want to load it up with at least, uh, or most of our guests are loading it up with five thousand dollars. We recommend going much higher than that. And so, people were calling in, and some of them loaded it with as much as like two hundred thousand dollars on Fire Cash, and that was just money that they were spending. Wow. So. Um, it was it was quite it was quite a thing. Now before before he created the company Fire and Fire was was a platform to book high end talent. So the the concept behind it's kind of interesting because it sounds like a good idea. You'd be able to book like someone like Ja Rule for a birthday party. You know, you'd pay a lot of money for it, but you'd go to their you go to their app. You'd be able to get in contact with them directly and book them um, if you had if you had the money for it. So you could find celebrity talent, book them for a private party, and it would make it easy. So I think that actually was a good idea. Uh, obviously, this thing killed everything. And before before he started that company, he had this uh, credit card company, which was basically they call, it was like the black card for millennials. And he would he would negotiate deals with clubs and concerts and things like that to get people um, discounts 
um, and get them involved with this credit card company. But it, it turns out that, again, that was shady practice. He was promising things that weren't really there. And so he has a history of uh, very, very shady business practices. Hmm. So, uh, but still, even though he has a history of shady business practices, he was still able to be up and running with this thing. And it's kind of interesting because uh, you, you, you know, I were talking before the show began about uh, the guy, the actual Wolf of Wall Street, who uh, built yeah, Jordan, Jordan Belfort, yeah, yeah, and he ended up, uh, yeah. T- tell me what you told me because that, that's really <laughs> that's really interesting. It's, it's fascinating. So Jordan Belfort, um, obviously, he went to jail after the events that transpired in the Wolf of Wall Street movie, or um, he was doing like stock pump and dumps, they call it. So he would promote the he would basically get tons and tons of people to buy a stock at the exact same time to boost up the price. And then he would sell as soon as the price boosted up and make a ton of money in the process. And he did that, including with like Steve Madden was one of the most popular uh, people that he did that for. And Steve Madden also went to jail for it, too, even though he really had very little involvement. He still got caught up in it. But, yeah, he went to he went to jail for it. He he ended up being an informant and he I think he turned several people in. So they commuted his sentence. I think he served five years, maybe even 10. But when he got out, he he started a seminar company almost instantly. He got out of there. He started a seminar company and he started teaching what he calls the straight line system, which is his uh, his process for selling to the top one percent of buyers in the world. Or he says it'll work for anybody. But essentially what he what he accomplished in his life was he taught everyday people how to target the top 1% of wealth in, in America and how to sell to those people and the language that they need to hear. And he taught them how to do that. So he's, he's created a seminar course to now teach this. And he is back doing quite well from what I understand. I mean, he's been, uh, he's been in the media. I know he's wrote, he just wrote a book called The Way of the Wolf, which I actually read. And it, it's just interesting. So he's, he's probably going to be doing just fine. He's probably made millions of dollars again. These people tend to rise back up. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that Billy McFarland in five years is a millionaire again. So we'll see. Yeah, almost because the infamy uh, serves him, you know. So it, it does, it, yeah. It, it, so it's, it's, it's also, you know, this kind of thing where even if you have a bad reputation, just having a reputation of some sort, people uh, will, uh, you know, will buy into it. Even if it's well, especially in the business world, because, you know, there's a lot of people in business that don't care about that stuff. They, they care about like, well, well, was he effective in business? That's what they care about. And like, well, yeah, he was effective in business. OK, then I want to work with him. So they don't care that he was shady and immoral and things like that. I think there's I think there's less of that in, in, in this kind of industry, whereas in other industries, people would be more reluctant to want to deal with that person or work with that person. Yeah, yeah. So um, people are all about their own self-interest, right? People, people are motivated by self-interest, and they think that this guy can make the money. They don't. I think they're more likely to work with somebody that they believe can make the money, even if uh, even if it's shady. even if the way that they acquired that wealth was very shady. So you know, going back to kind of the methodology in the Fire Festival and how they were able to uh, leverage, you know, the the whole thing with uh, with influencers. Uh, it just goes to show you also that uh, I think for the most part, people will not do their research and they look for the storyline that seems to uh, validate kind of what they want. So, for instance, you know, people who looked at the Fire Festival promo and thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get to party with 
Kyle Jenner and uh, Kylie Jenner, and all it's going to cost me is uh, $5,000. And uh, I get all this great stuff, and, and it's going to be amazing. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like how, the, how con men work, which is uh, they, they get people to buy into the, the dream of something, uh, and people become so overwhelmed with what they're, they're wanting in life that they lose track of, of following a certain track of reality, right? So, and, and this, this can be exploited for good or for ill. I mean, we marketers, we can use this power to get people to buy products based on a certain perception, uh, but you can also swindle people out of money uh, using the same techniques. And this gets into something that uh, Edwin Bernays uh, was, was really good at. And for those of you, I've, I've talked about uh, Edward Bernays a little bit. Edward Bernays was, a, uh, uh, was Freud's nephew. And when Sigmund Freud was coming up with his, uh, his theories and wrote his first books, uh, Edward Bernays was uh, meeting with him regularly and taking those techniques and turning it into the first marketing techniques. So basically, uh, you know, marketing became kind of a form of psychological manipulation. And, you know, on a, on a darker level, I think that that's what, that's what we do as marketers. But used effectively, uh, leveraging the right kind of uh, influencers and the right kind of social proof and the right kind of uh, people in general, you can you can move mountains and and sell anything, right? Yeah, and I mean, if we go back to the ideas, the principles of influence that we've done episodes on, um, which these come from Robert Cialdini. The ones, the main ones used here, again, social proof was a massive, massive one. They, there is a ton of social proof involved in this marketing campaign. Every influencer sharing this is. Uh, Every time they've put their name on something and they have a big following like that, that's uh, people trust them and they're they're kind of putting their trust in them to validate the product. So after after this, uh, one of the interesting things that one of the consequences of this as well was that the courts were like, should the influencers bear responsibility for the fact that a lot of these people were burned out of their money since they promoted it? And so what they've uh, come what they came to decide kind of was that in the future. Uh, so they, they basically did not hold them accountable, but in the future they need to disclose that this was a paid post. So they've really uh, they've really cracked down on these influencers need to be telling people if they're being paid to post, they need to disclose that so that things like this are clear so that it, they know that it's not just them promoting this product, they're being paid for it as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's interesting because this gets into – uh, kind of the new rules of, of internet marketing in general, uh, like with the GDPR rules and regulations that came down here in Europe. Um, you know, GDPR wasn't such a big deal in America, but over here, everybody had to get ready for it. And, uh, and it had to do with the way that privacy laws were being exploited. And, you know, you hear about all this stuff with Facebook and Google and uh, or, uh, Cambridge Analytica. Uh, and uh, you know, Google ran into a bunch of problems with their privacy, and so it, it's it, it's a it's a it's an interesting, brave new world because uh, again, data can be manipulated so easy and delivered uh, to people on a, on a very pointed level. So so there's two there's two kind of moral questions here. As a marketer, right, what is your role and responsibility? 
uh, as a marketer to make sure that you do a, a good job for your client or for your business, but also stay in integrity because that's one thing that as we move into deeper into the 21st century, I feel that uh, integrity and transparency are going to become more of a theme among how people want to deal with uh, with their products and information. And, and uh, you know, I come from a school of marketing that uh, I don't I don't believe in in the you know pay to play sort of uh, you know put things on Facebook. I'm more of like create you know a a, uh, uh, a base of people, create a, a tribe if you will, and uh, organically grow your uh, your information so it's valuable to people and not just throw it in your face. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, what you're talking about is the ethical way to go about this. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying, though, that he was very effective with the way he went about things. You yeah. can't deny the the effectiveness. Now, um, just kind of going – I just wanted to kind of go a little deeper on this because I talked about the social proof aspect. The other aspect that really drove people to this was the scarcity element. And because it was an exclusive festival, it was on an island. There were only so many tickets available and the exclusivity that involved with – being in a festival with all these celebrities and models, apparently. So um, really the way that this thing worked was tons of social proof, scarcity hammered in, and then the video that they used to to bring um, to, to build hype on this thing really tapped into people's emotions. So anytime you're going to use a, a video marketing, uh, if you're going to use video in your marketing, you want to create emotions in people because emotions sell. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a thing in marketing that um, basically stories sell and facts tell. Um, so if you're if you're going to sell something, it doesn't matter that you're telling people the details of what's happening. What matters is that you're cre- you're putting them into an emotional state through story. Yeah. The story that they're telling with this was that you're going to be on an island with models and with uh, the, the top people in the world, the top celebrities. There's going to be yachts. There's going to be luxury tents. It's going to be pure luxury. The beach is beautiful the water is beautiful i mean they they built this story of a fantasy that wasn't real and people fell for it hook line and sinker and i mean if you if you look at it and and they and they they depended on the influencers to validate the claims right and they took their word for it right so so the so the question the next question on top of that is as an influencer does this diminish your brand when the thing that you are influencing turns out to be a sham Hundred percent does. Yeah. Yes, it definitely diminishes your brand. Now they might have got away with this, maybe. I mean, every I think everybody that promoted this took some hit to their reputation, because especially by the people they hurt. And every time you hurt somebody, those people are going to tell all the people they're associated with. It's going to spread. Yeah. And so yes, I, I think anytime that you promote something out of a pure profit motive, without doing the proper research, without knowing. Um, you're you're jeopardizing your you're jeopardizing your influence, and you can really hurt yourself. And, and eventually, you could become you could lose all that influence, and 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 then make nothing. So you might you know, sometimes short term profits are very risky because they, you risk your long term value. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what was happening here. Now, in this particular case, even the employees of Fire, the company behind this, didn't know what was happening. So they were very secretive. So there really wasn't a real way for them to know how bad this really was. So they, they have that that to fall back on, but you know you, you, it's also if you put your name on something and it fails, 
you hold accountability. You put your name right. on there. You took the risk. That's the risk of promoting something. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it, so it's a, it's a definitely a, a a tricky sort of thing because you know once you we we did a whole show on fighting influencers and how to do this, but uh, it, it shows two things. I mean, but the, the lesson learned in this is, is number one, if you coordinate a campaign like this where you know they had all these influencers work together and pull the trigger at the same time, so millions and millions of people saw this and it generated a, a buzz instantly. So number one, you can move mountains with the right kind of uh, uh, influence or, and or Russian money. Uh, and uh, uh, the the other the other lesson uh, around this is that uh, people won't do their research generally. So you you know as consumers we got to be we got to be careful. But also uh, there are ways to, to game the system. But if you fail in doing that, it can be very detrimental to your campaign. It can be very detrimental to your brand. So uh, you know you, you've got to you got to walk carefully along these lines. So so what would be the the kind of like if if the fire festival were were to do this over, what would be the or or something similar? What would be the kind of the the way that you would you would want to do this? Well, first of all, uh, change the brand. <laughs> change the brand. Don't use the same name. But also you know if if you're looking to do something like this, you've got to show proof that. What you're doing is going to be above board and going to be totally within the realms of um, uh, of reality and, and show that it's going to you know be backed up. I think that um, one of the things this is actually a story that we read in in uh, just recently is that even Facebook is getting into uh, looking for double checking when you run an ad. They're, they 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 want to make sure that the ad that's running is legit. And they, they have to do that. So you, as a marketer, you've also got to be prepared to jump through a, a couple of more hoops when creating advertising and, and marketing. And, that, and which is necessary because um, anybody could create a Facebook page with any name and they could pretend to be somebody and run a damaging ad technically. Right. So it, it is important they validate where it's actually coming from. But going back to, going back to that idea, I, I don't know that people learn their lessons from something like this because these – these are hardwired techniques that human beings fall for again and again and again. I mean, people have, I mean, we, we are evolutionary creatures. We have certain things that trigger our brains. Um, and this was done, like I said, the, the way that they handled this campaign was very, very effective, very brilliant. Uh, you know, eventually consumers wise up and they do a little bit more research, but I, I still think that if this was done on a small scale, with the exact same techniques, it would probably be pulled off again. Yeah. So, um, well, it, it, I mean, the, these not, techniques you know, for better were, or worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, these techniques help elect a president. I mean, it, you know, it, 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 if you really look at it that way, it, it did. So, uh, you know, it, it, and, and that gets into this whole other thing about what's going to happen moving into 2020. So, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I've, I've never really thought about the role of a marketer is having to have a certain sense of social responsibility. I mean, a lot of marketers that I know are people who will just like say whatever they need to say and run whatever ads they need to run, do whatever they have to do to get the traffic and make the conversion. Um, and I feel that, that uh, although those techniques can work on the short run, in the long run, 
things like this can really damage your your reputation and ultimately uh, the longevity of, of whatever it is you're doing. So it's uh, yeah. it's it's an interesting time because I, I and this is why I decided long ago to step away from kind of the short term gains and go for more of the long term uh, SEO driven marketing and creating content that uh, you can leverage keywords with. I think it works far better. That's I mean I think that's the greatest lesson from this is that um, short term thinking yeah can be very damaging especially if you look at everything from a long term play. So yeah. yeah, the lesson is. The lesson is that you should be looking at things from long-term perspectives. So, yeah, even though you can make a ton of money in the short term, and but you're ripping people off, then that's it. Your reputation's shot, and you're going to have to change your brand and hope that nobody discovers who you are. And you know, it's you're, you're probably not going to get away with it. Now, the other thing is, like, for somebody to pull this off, they they have to have that lack of empathy because most people wouldn't be able to pull something like this off. I, you know, I couldn't do it. No. I can't imagine that like anyone we know could do it. That's why I, I brought up the fact that you know this uh, this person I believe has a lack of a market lack of empathy, and that allows them to be able to pull something like this off. So that that is yeah, when when marketers that have damaging intent get a hold of these techniques it can be it can create major problems and that's why we have to, we try to make a distinction between you know manipulation and the concept of influence where you know i like to say manipulation is anytime you're using these kind of techniques with a negative intention and influence is when you're using them with a positive intention because using these same techniques can be important if you're using them to inspire someone to do something good for themselves yeah. So if you're helping someone along the way or you're, you're, you're inspiring them to get something that's going to make them uh, lose weight and get healthy, uh, I mean, you're helping, you know, you're helping them with uh, prolonging their life, then it's that's influence and that's an important thing. But if you're using it to rip them off and take their money, then you're manipulating. And that's that's the distinction that I would make. Yeah, uh, well said. And I, I think, you know, it also dives into this other idea about the story that you're telling for marketing. In the next few weeks, we're going to do a whole episode on storytelling for business, which is one of my uh, biggest passions, and uh, talk about how you know how you can basically create a story that gets people to uh, to buy in on whatever it is that you're you're selling and how to do it. And then uh, in the next couple of weeks, we are also doing a uh, show on viral marketing. So. Uh, that touches on uh, both of those things touch on this particular subject that we're talking about. But uh, in the meantime, I've got some interesting news to share. Uh, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Yes, it's time once again for Marketing Geek News. Uh, I've got some interesting stuff here. First of all, uh, this is from Marketing Land. Uh, all advertisers can now buy Google's 15-second non-skippable video ads. We did a whole uh, webinar uh, a couple weeks ago on video marketing, and I got into the types of ways that you can do a video marketing campaign for your business. And uh, the only options that you had were kind of the skippable ads, so you upload a video to YouTube, and then you can use that to market your business. But uh, one of the types of ads that were not available to the average person was the 15-second non-skippable video ads, uh, which are pretty effective because you're forced to sit through a uh, video. Now, you pay for YouTube Red, right? I do. Yeah, so you don't see any of those ads. But, uh, but for those of us who 
if you don't, uh, the 15 second video ads, not skippable. I'm, I have to sit through 15 seconds of whatever that is before I watch my, uh, you know, Avengers Endgame trailer for the hundredth time. So, uh, so it, it, it's, uh, it's cool because now anyone can buy these ads and use them. And the way that you do that is you just create a 15 second ad, you upload it to YouTube and then you go through uh, AdWords. And if you want to know more about that, then all you need to do is become a subscriber to our show, hit the link below. And uh, for $4.95 or more a month, you can see all of our back webinars and learn how to do these techniques. We have them available to you. So uh, please become a subscriber and we will uh, we'll show you all the techniques that, uh, that, that, that money can buy. That's right. Right? That's right. <laughs> So uh, anyway, if you want to, if you and if you have any questions about it, of course, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, also YouTube news. This is kind of interesting. YouTube TV. Do you have YouTube TV? Uh, I do not have YouTube TV. I don't even know. Did they rebrand it? Is it still YouTube Red? I'm not even sure. I think they rebranded the name. No, YouTube YouTube TV is uh, is a, uh, a service that uh, uh, YouTube TV subscribers can watch. Um, uh, on platforms like CBS, uh, and uh, so it, it kind of integrates uh, TV and uh, YouTube, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it basically, if you have uh, like some cable services, like if you hit on demand, you can go onto YouTube. Uh, you can also, if you have a uh, like a Google Chromecast or you have a, a Fire Stick or anything like that, you can uh, you you have Google TV. It's basically uh, YouTube that can cast onto your television. Okay, set. they did. And they so, did rebrand it though. Uh, YouTube Red is now called YouTube Premium. So I just looked that up. So they did change okay. the name of YouTube Red to YouTube Premium, but that's separate from TV. So you're talking about some an additional add-on. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, well, well. The YouTube TV is a little bit different. It, it's uh, it, it's um, uh, it's a little more. It's thirty five dollars a month, and it gives you. It's like a like a mini cable. Uh, network yeah so uh you you can you can get it and uh if uh if you if you're doing the full cord cutting but it's available it's a lot like that other what's our what's that other service that's out there that does uh, something similar uh bah, i don't know there's a few of them uh, the, or whatever yeah <laughs> so all part of the, the you know what, what's really funny though it's like you have you have uh you know this netflix is a streaming service you have uh, you have Disney as a streaming service. You have YouTube uh, as a streaming service. Amazon as a streaming service. Uh, HBO, all these other new competitors. Uh, the question is this: Somebody's going to come along, right, and bundle them all up, and you can get all of them together, and uh, they're going to call it cable. <laughs> that's that's my prediction of the month. The uh, yeah, YouTube uh, TV is kind of. I mean, it seems like it's kind of similar to Swing. That was yeah. one. Um... I was trying to pull out. So Sling is, is also a kind of a, a service that's connecting you to live TV. So because like Hulu is like pre-recorded TV. Now you have these live TV streaming ones. And then you have your Netflix for movies. You have your Amazon Prime for movies. So it's it's crazy, like all these different services. And then Disney, of course, is coming out with one later this year. Right. So everything is going to be spread out. And it's going to cost you more than it costs you for cable soon if you want to get all these different services. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, very, very interesting uh, in the time of uh, in the time of streaming. Uh, this is another news story. This is the most fascinating news story of the week for me. 
Uh, New York Times reports that Facebook plans to integrate WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook Messenger into one sort of thing. So uh, basically what that means is a lot of people are using Instagram, a lot of people, some people use Facebook uh, Messenger still. Uh, I use WhatsApp, you and I use WhatsApp uh, for overseas calls, but, uh, but they're not integrated. So if somebody only uses uh, Instagram but doesn't use WhatsApp or Facebook, I can't talk to anybody. So they're planning on integrating them so I can uh, talk to anybody on any of those platforms. Uh, why that's important for marketers is because it helps with the customer service experience. Uh, I'm, I'm recommending to all of my clients that they get a WhatsApp uh, number and put it on their website so they can instantly talk to any uh, of their clients. But, uh, but it also makes me, it kind of bugs me out a little bit because I don't like the idea that they're, they're going to be integrating it in a way that, uh, again, it's like I don't really trust Facebook with any of my data. Even though I use um, uh, WhatsApp, they do guarantee that all the communications are encrypted from end to end. But if, uh, if I, say, connect with somebody on Facebook or I connect with somebody on Instagram or the data is available, is it still going to be encrypted? Is it going to be something that uh, will be guaranteed to keep my data safe? Uh, I don't know. You know I, don't, I don't have the answers to these things. But it is kind of interesting that uh, you know Facebook is looking at kind of pulling everything under the same roof. And I think they they related this partly to the fear of government regulation over these social media um, conglomerates like Google, like Facebook, like Amazon. I mean the big the big guys. So there, there's a fear of this, and I think that the fear was that they were going to force them to break up the company. So by him putting everything under one roof, uh, I think he's he's trying to make it harder. <laughs> if regulation comes down, I think he's trying to make it harder for them to break it break it up. Uh, that's kind of what that's kind of what some of yeah. the theories on online were anyway when he was pulling this off. That it has to do with that fear of future regulation coming down the pipeline. Yeah, and you know, I, I think I, I definitely think it should be regulated because uh, it's uh, you know it's it's interesting to me that people just give away their data uh, so willingly. And uh, as I've always said, if uh, if you pay for a product, then you get the product. If the product is free, you are the product. So um, you know, and 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 of course. Uh, we, we don't know ultimately what's going to happen with all this data because, you know, when, when uh, MySpace went out of business, uh, it was eventually sold to a marketing company that just, you know, went through all of the data that people uploaded and uh, just scrapped it, you know, scraped all the data and they had all this marketing data from people all over the world. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with all of this. It's... It's uh, it's definitely well. Speaking, you know, speaking of privacy and data, there's another one more story I want to bring up here. Uh, the Illinois Supreme Court ruled that companies now can be sued for collecting biometric data without opt-in consent. So, uh, and that's even if there was no tangible injury. Mm. And so, this this is a case that stemmed from a 14-year-old at a Six Flags in Illinois, I presume, because it came from the Illinois Supreme Court where they took his fingerprint uh, without getting authorization from the parent. And I assume uh, I've been to Six Flags, and I think that's for the season passes. They take your fingerprint as a way of making it easy to access your season pass. Um, and it, it, the parents didn't like that. They filed a lawsuit. And now, based on this, it looks like they will be able to sue 
because they did collect that biometric data without opt-in. Now, I think of this in terms of, there's a couple companies, uh, I think of Las Vegas casinos, because I know that they're using this data to, you know, to find people that are wearing disguises or things like that, that are like card sharks or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or they aren't welcome in the casinos, they've been banned. And then I think of, uh, I also think of, and they're, they're keeping data files on people. And I also think of social media because, you know, social media sites, you have that photo recognition software, they have, um, they have all this software existing and they're using it. And the question is for the users that are under 18 years old, is this a violation of that? Yeah. Um, maybe, I mean, I, I don't, I forget the way that they word this in, in actual business law. And I think there is some exceptions, even if you're under 18, but I don't know what they are. So I'd have to, um, defer that for now, but yeah. <laughs> it's something to think about. Yeah, for sure. And especially as we move into uh, something else that we talked about is like, uh, you know, beyond biometric data, what about DNA data? Uh, recently there was a serial killer who was found because uh, he uh, tried out ancestry.com and, and police uh, went through his uh, DNA, DNA database and found the DNA and he was caught. So, you know, when lots of us are doing DNA tests uh, these days, and we don't know what's going to happen with that data either. So, uh, you know, this is, this is getting into, like, really strange territory, and we don't know ultimately where it's going to go. Uh, but uh, I do know this, that of all the strange territory there is, my favorite strange territory in the entire world is, of course the sex robot territory. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time, once again, for the sex robot report. Uh, Give me a horn. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Who's down for the sex robot report? That would be me. Okay, so this is from the, uh, this is actually courtesy of you. You found this story, really good one. Uh, Daily Star. UK. Uh, sex robot time bomb. AI girlfriends could fuel birth rate collapse. Increasing, <laughs> increasing use of sex robots by lonely men could fuel the population crisis in Japan amid a dramatic birth rate slump, according to artificial intelligence experts. Realistic sex robots programmed to speak, learn, and move on their own have been uh, generating interest as technology becomes more deeply rooted worldwide. Artificial intelligent androids designed to resemble humans have permanently been developed, uh, primarily been developed by tech companies to serve as uh, sexual purposes for men and women. However, the debate has been rising. Uh, as people start using sex robots, will it drop the fertility rate? Because people will be having sex with robots versus real people. And I, 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 would, uh, I would have to say, you know what? Let's get as many sex robots into the hands of people as possible because one thing that will help the climate more than anything else is to drop the population. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there are 7.5 billion people uh, in the world right now. By the time our kids are our age, there's going to be 11 billion people on this little tiny planet so uh, I think that I think that the sex robot uh, revolution could could help that issue. Yeah, I mean, I think we might be onto something here. This might be the catalyst for for big big change, and maybe this should be involved in political platforms. Maybe we should be talking about this in debates. 
I mean, we got to bring this to the forefront here. This is this is the solution to overpopulation problem on the planet. I think a sex robot in there. I mean, honestly, if they, if they took all the money from all the wars in the past 20 years and just developed like the ultimate sex robots and got them into people's hands, literally, uh, it, 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 I think I think it could do something about population control. Just make sure you're getting consent before taking biometric data. That's all. Uh, that's true, but uh, but the question is, do uh, do AI robots have rights, and uh, uh, do you need consent from an AI girlfriend? That's you know, is it is it, are we going to live in a future where like uh, our our generation is going to be like a second wave of Me Too, and like all these sex robots are going to rise up and be like that guy never asked for consent before you know he groped my robot boob. You know, I mean, is that, that going to happen? I don't know. We might, we might be, but we're bringing the awareness, so we're going to be safe, Andros. We will That's be right. safe from that. That's right. <laughs> for, for all of you sex robots in the future, just know that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm behind you guys. I'll, I'll Thirty years from now, listen back to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes another kind of weird edition of the sex robot report. Oh God. Uh, so, with that, uh, we got a little more, uh, let's wrap up the show. We got a little, uh, just a couple of geek news things going on. What do you got for me, man? Well, I mean, I was telling you, I watched the, uh, the Ted Bundy series on Netflix, or three out of the four of them. Pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, and, and it ties into kind of what I was talking about, how, um, you know, you either, uh, people that have this marked lack of empathy, they tend, or they fall into the, uh, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, would call them as antisocial personality disorder. Um, more commonly heard to be called sociopaths, but they they tend to be either CEOs or they tend to be going to prison. And Ted Bundy, he, he was an incredibly charismatic, um, witty, and articulate guy, but he also was a killer. And so it's it's a fascinating character study of somebody that you know doesn't fit the common perception of what you would think would be a killer because he's considered to be a good looking guy. He was, uh, he was a law student. He didn't fit the, your, he didn't fit any stereotypes and he was one of the worst killers, uh, in history. So, and, and back then the technology, and also if you watch the documentary, you'll see how terrible the technology was like district police districts weren't communicating with each other. State, uh, states were like even further apart from communicating with each other it was a lot easier to for him to get away with things than it would be now. So uh, this was before mm-hmm. the advent of the internet. Cell phones weren't around. So it was a very different time also. So I- interesting stuff, uh, interesting character study. The What makes this one unique is that it, it's actually a interviewer went to, um, to visit him on death row and recorded 100 hours of interviews with him. And what the most fascinating part of this whole thing was Ted Bundy was resisting telling the story. And then and there was one thing that shifted the whole thing. Uh, he, he decided he had this creative idea where he would have Ted talk in the third person, because if you, if he talks in the third person, this is almost like the OJ Simpson book. If I did it, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. by talking in the third person, he's not incriminating himself and he can tell his story. And he's such like a narcissist that he wants to tell it. And this gives him the opportunity to do it. So he took it and he basically tells the story. Um, without even though he's already on death row, without having to incriminate himself officially, even though he basically is. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, another Netflix uh, very interesting show that I've been watching is uh, You. <laughs> I've been watching that too. I'm, I'm like I'm like three or four episodes in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now you just to, just to um, uh, keeping it mostly spoiler free. It's about a guy who's uh, a, a sociopathic stalker, but he's also very charming. And uh, and it's it's an interesting show because you're not really sure who to root for in, in this. Um, but uh, but I'm uh, I'm intrigued. I'm on episode eight, so maybe we can give a, a full rundown when we're both uh, through it. But uh, you has been has been uh, has been really uh, has been really interesting. It's kind of like Dexter in some ways. Uh, in some ways, I mean that's like the best comparison I could give. It's not quite like it, but it's got some it's got some comparisons. Yeah. It's a, it's a good show, and, and I, I it's funny because we're like this whole show is about like psychopaths apparently, uh, <laughs> um, but they also <laughs> I also saw they dropped that uh, off the success of this Netflix documentary on Ted Bundy they dropped a trailer for a new Ted Bundy movie starring Zac Efron, and there's a little bit of controversy already. Oh, the, the movie is titled Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. And because I'm watching the, docu- the documentary, I recognize that that was the sentence that the judge handed him right before giving him the death penalty. Um, so that's that's what he, that's what he called him. But it, it, there's some controversy because the preview is like to upbeat kind of music, and it, it almost is glorifying him. So uh, a lot of people are saying like this is exactly what Ted Bundy wanted. You're, you're like glorifying him as like an action star almost. Like like the trailer feels a little too upbeat for what it really was. So it's uh, yeah, and that there's <laughs> that's very valid uh, point. So it's uh, it's one thing to be you're fascinated by these people, but yeah, you don't want to obviously you don't want to glorify the behavior, and we don't want we don't want copycats or anything like that. So yeah, it's it's really crazy because uh, you know some of the um, actually I've been listening to a lot of different crime podcasts lately. One of them I've been listening to is uh, uh, one called uh, Dirty John and another one called Doctor Death. Both of those are about uh, psychopaths as well, since we're in the psychopathic but, <laughs> Such uh, an upbeat about, episode. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Well, you know, psychopaths are, are fascinating. Are, yeah. And it's because, uh, I, what, what's the statistic? There's like 2% of the population are psychopaths, but something like 20% of CEOs are psychopaths. Well, or sociopaths. I don't know if it's proven. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a high... I mean, I don't know. I don't know where the data. I don't know where the really data comes internet, from. But the, so it's got to be true yeah, the, from the internet. It comes from the internet. So it's got to be true. Uh, yeah, I think it's like one. <laughs> it's either one or two percent of people have the actual condition of antisocial personality disorder, which is the official diagnosis. So yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, anyway, I, I uh, I'm, I'm, I'll check out the the Bundy thing, and then uh, you know we'll definitely uh, give a full report. And finally, um, the John Wick. Chapter three uh, yeah. trailer dropped this week. Looks glorious. Um, you know what? I, uh, I I heard this great story about uh, Keanu Reeves. When Keanu Reeves first moved to uh, Hollywood from Canada, he didn't or from Hawaii, I think he didn't know anybody, and so he was bumming around um, uh, Venice Beach, and he saw some guys playing uh, street hockey. So he asked if he could uh, just work his way in. And they said, sure, they didn't know this guy, but pretty soon he, you know, became Keanu Reeves. But he stayed with those guys and made friends with them and played 
street hockey with them for 10 years uh, while his career just blew up. And he just stayed like down to earth. I, I met Keanu Reeves once, um, which was, uh, which, uh, here's my, here's my Keanu Reeves story. It's, it's kind of funny, but I was, um, I was doing market research for a film company and I walked up to him to see if he wanted to, uh, come to a screening of a movie on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, cause this is like in a, in Hollywood, uh, you know, you give out movie passes in, and they test movies before they come out in the theaters. And I walked up to this guy who's just like hanging out, drinking a beer on the street in the paper bag. And uh, I asked him if he wanted to see a movie, and it was Keanu Reeves. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, hey, well, what movie is it? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can't send you, unfortunately, because you're in the entertainment industry. But I noticed he had a motorcycle helmet. And uh, I was riding a motorcycle, too. And I said, oh, uh, what kind of bike do you ride? And he, uh, he said, oh, I, I, uh, uh, I ride a Ducati. And I said, oh, well, I drive a Honda. It's this make and model. And he's like, oh, that's a classic bike. So we started rapping about motorcycles, just like two dudes, you know. And uh, we were having this, uh, we talked maybe for like 15 minutes. And there was this one moment when I was like, hey, man, you want to go get a beer? And there was a couple of things that went through my mind. And the first thing was like, you know, you heard the rumor that Keanu Reeves uh, may be gay. And I don't care if he is or not. But if he was, I I, I wanted to ask him if he wanted to come have a beer with me, but then I didn't want him to think I was hitting on him, right? Because then if he, it turns out he was gay and he had a beer with me, I might have to have sex with Keanu Reeves. Uh, so, you know, that would be, wow. I mean, if I'm going to have sex with any, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, whatever, you know, some guys like to, you know, have sex with other guys. I, it's not my preference, but I, I, I would consider it because he's Keanu Reeves. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> And then on the other thought side of my thinking was like, I, I think that Keanu Reeves would think I'm weird, you know, to ask, like, what if, like, you know what I'm saying? It was just awkward. But uh, I actually wish to this day that I uh, did ask him for a beer because yeah. he seems like a cool guy. I would have liked to just chat with the dude for and a while. And Keanu, if you're, if you're listening, if you're listening, Keanu, maybe you could take Andros up on that beer. Yeah, come down into uh, the Netherlands, and I don't, you know, maybe I don't know, but but uh, but but he's just he. I, I, as a famous person, it's hard, also hard to make friends, and I would totally be friends with you, Keanu Reeves. I totally would. What's funny about Keanu Reeves is he's like probably nobody's done more with less, right? I mean, he's he's not like yeah. he doesn't have the most range. You can't say he has a lot of range as an actor, but he's made some of the, like, my favorite movies. I mean, he's made some incredible films. Uh, he's involved in The yeah. Matrix. I mean, I, I when I was younger, I, I liked, I really liked the Speed movie he was in. I mean, Bill and Ted. He's done now the John Wick series took off, and I mean, there's more and more. And he's uh, he's had quite a career with a, what I would say is a bit of a limited range. And but he's made. Yeah. I mean, he's done incredible. And I mean, Point Break. I mean, the guy's got a resume that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and and I think it has to do with the fact that he's kind of like tofu, where tofu takes on the flavor of whatever you cook it with. So yeah. uh, I think that's that's basically you know. I mean, because there's some actors like Jack Nicholson. It's hard to watch Jack Nicholson and not go, "That's Jack Nicholson playing." <laughs> That which which right? is why exactly. which is why like in like almost probably seventy five percent of Jack Nicholson's movies his character is named Jack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen. 
Thank you so, so much for joining us for Marketing Geeks, the psychopath episode. That's right. Psychopathic marketing. You learned just how close Andros was to having that beer with Keanu Reeves and what else might have happened. And uh, one of these days I'll tell you my Hunter S. Thompson story, which is equally as fascinating. I want to hear that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell 500 of your closest friends about the show. Leave a review. Tell us how great we are. That helps. Uh, Of course, if you really want to help, then just hit the link below and become a sponsor of the show. Donate a little bit of money, you get a lot back in return. And uh, I appreciate so much each and every one of you who do listen to the show. Also, thank you. You guys are awesome. From the bottom of our hearts here at Marketing Geeks, we absolutely love you. So... We want you to go home tonight, tell every single person that you've ever met, that you've ever known about